in a world of chaotic noise. The podcast Keep Walking With Me searches for potential solutions towards the best version of ourselves. One likes to make questions, the other loves to find answers. Nuno and João are partners from The Walking Mentorship and they bring the inside look in the life of the people they walk with. Every month, we walk together with a guest. All right, so uh, welcome to our Keep Walking With Me podcast. Today, we have a guest coming from South Africa and probably better than anyone else. Um, we're going to ask, um, can you tell us who is Galeo Saint in a nutshell? In a nutshell, well, um, I always like to say it very simply like this. In uh, what I do is if you walk out your door from your home and you walk to the end of your garden gate, if you have a garden and you turn left or right when you walk through that gate, um, you'll take the road. And if you follow that road far enough, it will come to the end of town and it'll go into the country. And if you keep walking, you'll come to a track and that track will maybe lead into a trail, and if you follow that trail and you follow it far enough into the hills or the mountains or the forest, you'll come to a place where you find peace. And uh, that is Galio Saints. Galio Saints is all about trails, conservation, and peace building. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's really inspiring, really um, a very deep thought. Um, well, looking at your biography, you obviously walk a lot, you, you walk a lot of trails. Um, how does that, is a very important part of your life, in what way does that determine who you are? You know, trails, it's, it's kind of bizarre. Over the last, uh, it's almost 15 years now, trails came into my life unexpectedly. Uh, mainly through my work in conservation as a conservation um, ecologist. Um, my interest, interest was, was conservation, conservation corridors. corridors. Those, Those are, are um, um, sections, sections of land, of land that, that in protected areas with each other so that species and animals can move from one protected area to another protected area. And uh, it was essentially through that movement um, where I got invited to create South Africa's longest trail at the time, which is the Eden to Addo. And uh, we decided to create a walk between these three protected areas, which were linking the last free unfenced elephant of Southern Africa with their closest population in Addo Elephant National Park. And uh, so we created this walk through this proposed corridor. And uh, the irony is 15 years later, I am today working on a, an, an international uh, report looking at migration human migration and animal migration um, in of environmental change. And uh, so in some strange way, walking, whether it's my own walking or whether it's the movement of animals or the movement of people, uh, seems to be what my life is about. Yeah. And um, I cannot resist to, to ask you, um, you know, looking at the, all the experience that uh, you have, uh, accumulate throughout your journey um, there are three words that uh, come quite often 
uh, obviously nature, but also peace and economics. And um, I would like to ask you, how, how do you see this uh, tripod working together? Because usually, uh, I'm not sure they always come together. Well, Zhao, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, so I work in, in, in I chair the IUCN, uh, I co-chair the IUCN theme on environment and peace. And so we look at conflict, we look at conflict in conservation protected areas. And some years ago, when I first started getting interested in peace, I came across the, the Global Peace Index, which is the work that is done by the Institute for Economics and Peace out of Australia. And, and they produced an, an annual report which essentially ranks countries based on the degree of peacefulness that they are experiencing. And it's a very interesting report to look at every year to see, you know, where we are finding conflict in the world and what kind of conflict that is. Now, the Institute for Economics and Peace um, essentially looks at the relationship between peace and economics. And, and I found that very interesting. And one of the things they seem to identify is how... Um, the more prosperous a country is, or the more sort of effective its economy is, the more people have. Uh, those countries that have unequal distribution of resources or a lack of access to resources or poor governance or corruption and all sorts of things like that tend to be more conflict um, countries. And so I thought this was an interesting thing to look at. What was the relationship between economics and protected areas. And so I did a very simple survey of um, those countries that had effective economies. Where, did, where, where were they sitting in the spectrum as far as their nature conservation was concerned? And it was an interesting, I can't say it's a correlation, but certainly an interesting uh, relationship seemed to exist that those countries that are most peaceful and that have an, uh, an equitable economy of such um, also seemed to conserve their nature most effectively. And so one could almost say there is a relationship when we have access as a population to nature, when we look after our nature with, with uh, good systems, with um, good funding, with um, a strong moral uh, orientation, we seem to then also have more peace in such societies. And so this is a space that interests me very much, this relationship between nature access, peace in society, and economics, and how do, they, how do those three interact or connect with each other, um, if at all? And is there a causality, or is it just a coincidence that if you have a really good economy, you might have really good nature protection, or if you actually have peace, peace results in a good economy and good nature protection, or if you have good nature protection and easy access for your population into nature, does that result in peace and a good economy? So these are questions that I don't have answers to, um, but the subject fascinates me, and it's a space that I think we need to do much more research to find out what is really the relationship between these three uh, disciplines. Thank you. That, that's really uh, very, very, very interesting. 
um, the way you connect these different aspects. And certainly there are, uh, as you say, maybe we not a correlation you can actually evaluate right now, but if there's a relation, we should look for the correlation and try to see how we can influence one through the others. Uh, well, being born in South Africa, you obviously witnessed an amazing political and social transformation with evident problems and difficulties to this day. Um, is there a specific uh, event or uh, movement, well, whatever, that you would like to point out uh, in your life experience? Uh, as in being a South African? Um, yes. Well, of course, there's, 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 there's very many there are very many. Um, you know, this country is a rich country. It's culturally very rich. It is, um, from a biodiversity perspective, it's very rich. And historically, this country is also very rich. Um, we're an unusual sort of mixed world economy, an emerging nation, a young nation in many respects, and one that's got a very complex history that goes back hundreds of years um, to the first colonizers that, that landed here, and obviously thousands and thousands of years to the first peoples who, you know, were at home in, in the, the lands that are today South Africa. Um, certainly for me, what stands out indeed is the transition from apartheid to a free democracy. And, uh, you know, Nelson Mandela famously uh, titled his biography, A Long Walk to Freedom, and uh, that long walk is still happening. We are still, as a nation, on a very long walk to real democracy, to real uh, economic freedom, to real uh, equality, and to an equitable economic system. And um, like many emerging countries, that is the challenge we face and still face. One of the devastating things of the last sort of 10 years has been a significant and and sort of really sad increase in corruption, which has resulted in a, a large amount of funds being misappropriated by our government. And what that means is essentially the people of this land are being denied many of the services that we need and that are essential to us for us to uplift our country. So this, you know, essentially the, the process that we're in is an ongoing process and um, and it's a challenging process, but it's it's those challenges and the dynamic uh, sort of energy of the people of South Africa that makes the challenges face both um, exciting on one level, um, but also quite um, quite overwhelming sometimes. Wow, and, and probably um, we will use the opportunity to take a. A, a look at your um, cultural heritage. So, usually in these podcasts, we always try to ask our guests to bring, you know, a couple of musics that uh, either describe them as as a person, as uh, their own journey, but also can be something very specific from um, from your land, from your culture, from your country. So probably. This is a good time to ask you, uh, since we have been talking a little bit about South Africa, what music could you bring us and explain us why did you choose it? 
uh, that has a little flavor that um, probably only you can bring? Well, um, one of my favorite songs is the, the beautiful um, song by Miriam Makeba, who is uh, one of the songbirds of South Africa. She, in her career, she was uh, exiled for most of her adult life as an artist because of apartheid. Um, and she was a sensation around the world wherever she sang. But her most famous song that, she, that I love immensely, and I'll explain to you a little bit what it is, it's the, um, what is called the, uh, the click song. Uh, in English, and and this is a song. It's really a a, a a wedding blessing song from the Kosa people in South Africa, and um, it's also a song that that refers to good blessings that might come or good fortune that might come after a turbulent time that one has been through. And um, certainly, where we sit today, we are all in a very turbulent time. So this click this click song is is a beautiful reminder of of the good fortune that can come after after difficulties in one's life. And um, the words actually mean um, uh, the diviner of the way uh, is the, the knock-knock beetle. And this is a particular beetle in South Africa that has a beautiful rounded back. And, and what he does is he, he knocks his, his, the back of his, his body on the ground and goes... And uh, that is to call his mate, essentially. It goes... And um, the song is about, it says, the, the diviner of the way, which is, I love to interpret it as, the diviner of the way is the one who shows the way. It is the trail. It is the trail, essentially. Um, the diviner of the way is the knock-knock beetle. And here he comes. You can see him passing already. It is the knock-knock beetle. And those are the words of this beautiful song. So uh, when you hear this remarkable singer sing this uh, traditional Costa song, um, you can think of this knock-knock beetle showing the way on trails. Wow. Thank, thank you, Galeo. We'll, we'll listen right now. In my native village in Johannesburg, there is a song that we always sing when a young girl gets married. It's called the click song by the English because they cannot say, Ongotwane. Put 
now thank you for this really interesting song. I, I didn't know it, to be honest, and it's very inspiring, very interesting, very curious uh, at first hand. But then with your explanation, it really goes much deeper. So thank you very much. Uh, and referring to trails, you are the founding uh, chair of the World Trails Network. Um, well, why do you felt the need to, to found this organization? And uh, why do you believe it can have a positive impact on the world? Well, I, I happen to be the founding chair. At, at, I'm not the sole person who established the World Trails Network. This was an idea that had germinated in South Korea with the Jejuole Foundation in 2011 um, at the World Trails Conference that they were hosting. They put it forward to have uh, a World Trails Network. And... Um, then in 2012, I was invited to the World Trails Conference, and um, uh, this proposal was put forward again. And uh, anyway, the, as you have in conferences, there was a lot of debate and a lot of discussion and a lot of agreement or disagreement. But eventually, at the end of the uh, World Trails Conference, we, um, we established a founding committee uh, to go ahead and create a World Trails Network. And so I happened to be elected at that time to, to govern that committee. And from there, we established it into a, a global nonprofit association that is today registered in Geneva um, as a nonprofit uh, organization, which really brings all the trails of the world together, creating a platform where trails in any country, in any part of the world, can learn from each other, can market things together, can uh, support ideas around best practice. And uh, when you ask the question, why is it important? I'll tell you why it's important. It's kind of crazy to imagine that when we established this, this, this network in 2012 and going into 2016 as, a, as, a, as an organization, up until then, there had never existed a global organization of any kind that really looked at trails and looked at trails as an industry and looked at trails from what they contribute to our societies from a health perspective, from a, a recreation perspective, from a tourism perspective. Um, and when you start looking at those sort of bits that trails delivered to global to the global economy, never mind to national economies, you suddenly realize that the trails industry is a massive industry worldwide. And uh, that we never had a, an organizing or a, a, an, an international body that represented it, trails was quite a shock to me initially. And so the privilege for me has been in bringing this global industry together and realizing that as an industry contributes significantly to the welfare, to the livelihoods, to the health, to the recreation of many peoples and communities around the world. So um, we are still a very small organization, but we are growing. And uh, we are very excited to be reaching out to other sectors in the economy, such as tourism, such as health, uh, such as recreation, uh, such as national parks, um, all of whom engage with trails in many different ways. Well, maybe we can continue on that path and talk a little bit more about um, walks and uh, wilderness. So is there 
any walk or wilderness adventure that uh, shaped your life? Why and when did it happen? Do you want to share with us? Yeah, with pleasure, Zhao. So, um, I would say that, you know, the Eden to Addo Trail that I helped establish was was the beginning of my, my sort of career as, as a trails person. But after Eden to Addo, I went on to help establish the Rim of Africa, which is currently South Africa's longest mountain traverse. At It's well over 650 kilometers in distance. And um, the Rim of Africa brought to me the significance of wilderness areas and particularly mountain wilderness. Uh, this particular route is most, most of the way is off path. So there's no path infrastructure. You're walking through the wild and um, carrying your tent, carrying your food for a number of days. And what I discovered is in guiding people on this particular trail experience, I found that if you spent three days out in the wild, something happened inside of you. If you spent seven days, something different happened after seven days. After 12 days, there was another shift in your body. And this is after 12 days sleeping under the stars, drinking only water from streams, uh, walking the whole day in nature. And after 21 days, again, something very profound and powerful happens to the human being after spending that continuous amount of time out in the wild. And after 21 days, you have a problem because you don't want to stop walking. So even if you have to stop walking, your body doesn't want to stop walking. And so that becomes a challenge in itself. But what I noticed is that the person who starts walking after three days in the wild is a very different person to who they were when they first started. The person at the end of 21 days is a completely new person. They one of the things that I experienced after returning from some of these long trails is the first night when I sleep back at home with a roof and a wall next to me or a chair, everything was very hard. The wall was very hard. Uh, the, the roof was very low. Um, the ground was also very hard. Whereas when you're in the wild, everything is much softer. The, the sky is your wall, is your roof. Uh, your your walls are your tent, which are they move in the wind, um, and so your entire inner being has a different reference point. The far horizon is what you are comparing yourself to in a way, and when you come back to the city, the far horizon is just across the street, and so you, we shrink, we become smaller, we become contained in the city. Um, so yeah, I guess that's my experience of of. Of, of trails and being in the wild is that it allows us to become expansive in our beings. Thank you. Oh, that, that's really amazing. The transformation power of these uh, experiences. Uh, I mean, I'm uh, listening to Galeo and I feel like getting my backpack and go. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, we were talking and uh, our feet start moving. <laughs> So, <laughs> oh, very good, very good. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> bringing us back to our to our flow, well, and actually trying to look a bit forward. Um, can can you tell us how do you see the world in ten years? I mean, these these are challenging times and uncertain times. 
but uh, that kind of uh, far horizon you were talking about, does it help you these days and, and does it give you a, a perspective? Well, that is a loaded question. <laughs> if you'd asked me this question a year ago, I would have given you a very simple answer. But it's 2020, it's COVID, post-COVID, yeah. I hope. Uh, we, we've got craziness going down in nearly every country in the world from a geopolitical perspective. We've got an economy that nobody knows what the hell that's doing. It's doing crazy stuff, completely out of territory. Um, so as I mentioned, I'm currently working on a report relating to environmental change and migration. And uh, the insights that we're having with this report are quite disturbing on one level because it addresses two things. One is runaway climate change, which I think we are going to struggle to avoid. And um, with that runaway climate change is severe pressure on nature, a loss of uh, species, extinction of species probably. And in addition to that is the unpredictable, uh, significant movement of people uh, who are going to be moving because they're going to be looking for better opportunities. They're either going to be moving away from conflict because of climate change or because of geopolitical stress. So I think in the next 10 years, we're going into a very tumultuous and challenging time. And uh, but there's a lot, I, I, I see a lot of hope. And the hope I see is the hope that grows in the gardens of every household or the gardens of every small community. So where I sit today, I'll share with you if, if um, time allows right now, I think we have as a global community, we have two options. We, we sit essentially at a, what one can call a bifurcation point uh, where the road splits. We know that trail. You can go left or you can go right. And I think if we look at the, the challenges of um, the global community at the moment, it's very clear to me that nation states, governments have in general, not been well prepared for the COVID crisis, either economically or even from a health, a health management perspective. What's very concerning about that is that they are even less prepared for major climate change. And, and so that, that is a, a concern for me. But this fork in the road, I see we've got two options. One option is I think we're going to see the idea of a global government becoming much more strong or put forward as a solution for the world, which means we might end up with um, a global currency. We might end up with essentially a huge amount of surveillance of human movement. And uh, what that will result in, in my view, is a technocratic state, a global technocratic state which will probably institute a universal basic income to keep everyone quiet and happy and that they buy into the idea. Now, some people will think that this is an amazing solution to all our problems. We have one government, it's kind of global, everyone gets an income, uh, there's fantastic surveillance, so everyone's monitored, nothing can go wrong, all great. But I think with that trajectory, and this is long term, I think with that trajectory, we will basically see the enslavement of humanity. And some of those crazy science fiction movies that we've seen, 
where you have these terrible scenarios, I think those things will probably become a reality. The alternative trail, which might go to the right, is what I would call the dissolution of nation states and the evolution of radically autonomous, self-governing, sovereign local communities. These are small communities that have a relationship to the land in a stronger way. They define their boundaries not necessarily so much by culture, but by the land that they cultivate, by the land that they live in. And um, so instead of a United Nations, I think down the line, the long-term future, we might see a United Council of All Peoples, which would have at the highest representation indigenous folk, small communities who are self-determining, even at a municipal level, uh, representation of, of human uh, needs and, and rights and, and requirements. So there are two very different trajectories there, and I certainly hope that the second trajectory, which is a very long-term, emergent, uh, deeper diversity of, of human communities, is what will evolve um, into our future. Because I think the, the way the world has been has not worked and is not working. I think we all know that. And a technocratic global government of some kind, which I think the big nations might push for, would be the end of humanity as well, in a certain way. So you've got a very different view from me there, which <laughs> I guess is maybe not what you were expecting. Um, but either way, we've got a long road to walk towards what I would call increased human freedom, increased community sovereignty, and um, increased self-determination of communities. Well. Galileo, thank you so much for um, such an insightful view into the future. Uh, very open, very honest, and probably the, the, the sherry on top of the cake of such view. It's uh, to ask you for another song, maybe to give us a, a little bit of a hope. <laughs> and uh, maybe you want to explain us why do you choose such song? Well, uh, the question is, which song are we choosing? <laughs> no, no problem. I can choose for you. <laughs> because uh, I really love it. I mean, I, I was not aware of the, the artist. So the song is called Aurora. So it's like the, you know, the dawn. dawn. And um, oh, maybe, maybe this can be a, a good option to look into the future. Indeed, this, this song I chose, in fact, because of exactly that. It's got an optimism and a, a beautiful etherealness about it. And uh, it, to me, it speaks of hope in many ways. So, yes, that's, that's why I, I chose it. All right. So let's listen to it, to Aurora. White silicon eyes Watching storms Sitting quiet Reading books In the heat of city lights Bored, everyone's bored When I'm restless Put me under The nightlife starts And I will feel grounded I know I'm just a girl I step on broken 
nighttime dreams The street walkers, the small talkers When we should be daydreamers And moonwalkers, and dream talkers When we become Thank you very much for this um, second song. And we would like to walk a little bit around mentoring. And we know that um, you've been uh, mentoring different leaders across the years. Um, and uh, I would like to ask you, what did you learn from mentoring other people? That's a beautiful question. Um, what I learned from mentoring other people, I, uh, I would say every time someone came to me and, and asked for my mentorship, first of all, it was always a humbling thing because I never ever, I never ever expected it. And uh, I never saw myself really as a mentor in that sense. But this was generally people who were younger than me and usually maybe between 12 to maybe 15 or 18 years younger than myself. And oftentimes, mostly younger people in their early 30s who were, who were looking to get going in their career, who were looking to do something of their own, who were being called by something inside of themselves that said they wanted to do this project in the world and make it happen. 
And they inevitably turned to me, for some reason they maybe thought I was good at making things happen, or I, I had a way of navigating how to yeah, establish either an organization or a project or a campaign. And uh, this only really started happening to me about 10 or 15 years ago. Prior to that, there was no one who was asking me for advice or mentorship or guidance or, or anything. So I guess, I guess becoming a mentor, what I learned, is something that comes with time. It comes with, as you yourself become a, a fuller human being, and others start to recognize that or re respect that and, uh, and or seek um, whatever it is that you're doing in your life that's making your life work, they, 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 I get the impression they think it, they can learn something. So what I've learned is, first of all, that um, your mentors every time, every time bring you as a man, your, your mentees bring you as the mentor every time a, a, an incredible gift, gift of, of reflection of what you've done in your own life and how you might have done it differently if you had a second chance. And in many ways, the, the mentee is that second chance. Um, you can help them, what I discovered, is in avoid some of the pitfalls that one may have been through oneself when one was doing one's initial projects or, or launching an organization or a business. I also learned that in being a mentor, you have to know how to encapsulate what you've learned. You have to know how to share and communicate what lessons you've experienced. And the secret is being able to share those in the form of a story, more so than in do this or do that or follow this guideline or you know what I mean. Um, because in a way the mentee is looking for inspiration more so than the, tech, the, the technicalities of how to do something. You know, how to do something you can Google, you can find in the libraries, all of that thing. But the inspiration that, that motivates us to become more human, to become and follow our dreams, is essentially what the mentee is really looking for. Can I trust what I'm feeling in the question they're asking? Can I trust where my feet want to take me? Can I trust that my dreams are not illusions and that they can become a reality, you know? And so I've... I've what I learned is in being the mentor, it's about really just encouraging the individual who is the mentee to have the courage to simply listen to themselves. Um, I couldn't give them the real advice. They know what they need to do. They are connected with their own heart, and they need to just trust that heart in the walk that they take going forward. Wow. I think what I also learned in being a mentor is... Um, that all of us have gifts that, that we can share. And uh, the important thing is to find a way to share them. And I'm, I'm extremely excited about the mentees that I've had because each one of them had the courage to, first of all, knock on my door and say, hey, Gallio, you know, will you mentor me in this process that I'm going through? Or what do you think about this? And I think that is the really critical thing for all of us to learn is that at some point we need to know we can knock on the door of someone else who inspires us, no matter who they are. Because until we knock, the door won't be opened. Until the door is opened, we might not realize what our full potential is. So even for myself, the lesson for me has been, how do I find a mentor? Because in my life, I haven't really sought out mentors. Um, and, and there's... 
and sometimes I think, especially for men, there's a there's a little bit of an embarrassment around acknowledging that you might need help or that you might need advice or you might need, or someone else knows more than you, you know, like we don't want to admit that. Um, so for me, the lesson has been also to find my own humility and to go to those who I do respect and, and ask them to be my mentor. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Well, one, one thing I would take from that, and uh, you mentioned that people see you as someone who gets things done. Obviously, you do. Um, and considering that, what are you planning to put your energy, you're getting things done in the near future? What are you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, oh, there's so many things. There's so many things. and uh, So little time. Uh, so little time, and uh, but there are some projects I'm working on, and one of the things I've learned is to really make something happen. Uh, as we say in Africa, this beautiful old parable or, or, or saying which says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm -hmm. And... Um, in relation to what I would really like to still achieve or do or some of the projects on my horizon, all of them require the need for partnering, the need for holding hands with one other or three others or an entire community of people. I believe it is the, the when people come together that things really happen and that's what makes things happen. Individuals, we can try and we, we, can, we can get there. But it's really when we come together in partnering, I believe, that we, we make real things happen and, and things that happen beyond ourselves that can live in the world. So I'm looking still at creating in South Africa a long-distance pilgrimage that would follow um, uh, and be an inspiration around the life of Nelson Mandela. Uh, the pilgrimage would start where he was incarcerated on Robben Island, and it would take a, a journey through the country to where he is now buried in his home village of Kunu in the um, Eastern Cape province of South Africa. In addition, I would like to, uh, from a project perspective, so that's on the, the trail side of things, on a project perspective, I'd like to really look deeper at this relationship between nature, peace, and economics, and uh, how we could perhaps unlock what those three dimensions mean to each other um, that would hopefully bring us more more conserved lands, more equitable economy, and more peaceful societies. And generally, my work is, is focused on all of that. Thank you. Well, uh, I, I probably, uh, you know, getting closer to the end of this uh, incredible walk and talk, um, ask you, uh, what role do you believe purpose as in your life and how do you see it uh, shaping actually the actions when you look back? I mean, is, is there a role and can you see it? Maybe you can share it with us? Wow. Um, you know, it's an interesting thing. Um, I mean, you know, as one walks towards one's mature years, which is what I'm doing. And uh, it's it's quite a scary walk to take that, you know, to becoming older and realizing that life is not that short, um, is not that long, it's more short. <laughs> um, 
I recently just came through COVID, the COVID experience, and I'm grateful for my health. So the last three months of recovery have been quite a quite a journey that I would say have have anchored a, another degree of meaning in in my personal life of of what is really important. What what do I really love? What do I really want to do? And Ja, what I would say is. What gives me deep meaning is is my poetry. I, I'm a poet. I write often. I write uh, mostly poems that relate to nature or to the the, the experience of the soul. And um, there's something beautiful in sharing one's creativity that gives one a, a, a purpose and a meaning that transcends many other things beyond obviously the meaning of being a spouse or a father or a parent or a you know, some of those traditional roles that we have in our lives. But I think the creative role is one that is uniquely aligned to one's individual self, to one's individual journey. And so certainly if there's any role I see myself playing that would give me more meaning in my life, it, it would be to to embrace the poet inside myself more strongly, more deeply, and to share my works um, more effectively. Thank you. So what you can do is come on one of my walks with me sometime and, and you will hear my poetry because I use my poetry often when I walk as a tool for helping or assisting those people who are walking with me to have a, a, a different sense of connection to where we are walking. And, and I think poetry is the, the great language of ecology. It's the great language of the soul. It's the great language of nature. It's the great language of, of humanity, in fact. Um, so, yeah, you've got me on a subject that I love immensely and... And enjoy. No, no, I really think we need to get our backpacks ready <laughs> and, <our boots. laughs> and go south. <laughs> For sure. Uh, well, on that very, very inspiring note, I think we, we must thank you very much for sharing this, I mean, precious gift you've given us, this, this sharing of your life. And uh, well, on poetry, and you suggested a, a, a final song, I think. Um, and I believe it has no words, right? The, you suggested... The four me, Seasons? Uh, yes, well, this is, um, this is the piece by Piazzolla. Yeah. Um, and I just think he's a fantastic composer. And he's taken the Four Seasons of Vivaldi and done something completely different and original with it. And, and uh, so this particular recording of his, of all the Four Seasons, is something I love to walk within the landscape. If we're talking about walking, you know, you put, you put your earphones on and you listen to the soundtrack that is dynamic and filled with energy and filled with optimism and filled with with. It's almost got a warrior spirit to it. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope our listeners enjoy this, this choice. So, let, let's listen to it. Yes.
And finally, um, Galileo, we reached the, the last uh, mile or kilometer of our beautiful talk. And um, we have a little surprise for you. Because uh, you probably remember that um, um, some years ago, people would like to build these time capsules. So you would gather, you know, few things, you will dig a hole, you will hide it somewhere, and maybe 10, 20, 30 years from now, you will find or someone will find, and then, voila, you would see, you know, the time capsule coming to life. So imagine that these last uh, couple of minutes of our talk, it's a time capsule. So what are we going to ask you? is to put something inside this time capsule. So you never know, we will open whenever they will open, maybe on YouTube, maybe on a website, maybe in another platform or format that we are not even aware that exists yet. But imagine if some, someone from this planet or another planet will have to listen to Galileo Science, 10, 20, 50, 100 years from now, what will be your message? Well, Jean, I'm, I'm tempted to give you a poem. All right. And it, it's a very simple one, so I'll read it for you. And it goes like this. It, Did you dream last night? of waterfalls? Did you dart among rusted reeds and rocks as wings of a dragonfly? Did an open hand full of scent lift its spirit and yours to the sky? Did you dive into a pool of silent desires and climb out glistening in the light unafraid? Did you see yourself reflected in the eyes of friends and love even the edges of what you saw? Did you wake knowing the dream was nothing less than a prayer and that somewhere in the night a leopard called your name? Did you close your eyes again where you lay in the grasses and dream once more of waterfalls? Or did you stay awake until dawn enthralled by a tumbling river of stars? Close those tired eyes now and remember a dream of where water falls. Well, Galeo, thank you so much for walking with us. Thank you very, very much. It's been my pleasure to spend this time with you both and uh, thank you for the opportunity. Keep walking with us. Keep walking with us. Step by step, we walk together towards the best version of ourselves. For more information about our mentoring programs, visit our websites walkingmentorship.com Keep Walking With Me, it is a podcast inspired by the Walking Mentorship Experience.